Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. You know, I was scouring uh, YouTube for actual live clips, and the only thing I found was a really short snippet from 1978 in Atlanta. I think it is. Mm. Are you aware? Are you aware of that one? No, I don't. I don't get out that much on the internet. <laughs> well, let me see if this works. I'm going to try an experiment here. I'm going to see if I can play it for you on the screen and okay. just see how you feel about that. Wonderful. But that's us. That's it. That looks like Chase Me. It is Chase Me. Uh huh. That sounds great. Trust right me. Right on. Right on. Have you ever seen that clip? I I think I've have. On some YouTube footage. Yeah, it's only about, uh, it's only 80 seconds long. Okay. And that goes into a little bit of, uh, let me put love on your mind. All right. Cool beans, man. Anyway, um, yeah, you can just get a hey. good sense from that, um, just the how dynamic, you know, you guys were. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that, was, it, that was the whole point of being, you know, had to make a statement when you're out there, you know? Did, how, to what extent did you guys feel competitive with, like, whoever else might be on the bill, like you guys wanted to turn it out, you know? Well, well actually... Um, of course, you know, you want to, um, you know, do your best, but we were very, you know, actually, I'm not going to say, I mean, if a lot of that goes on in a bit, of course, you know, I remember when we, um, um, opened up for Levert. OJ's? OJ's. Yeah. And, um. And we were backstage with Walter, you know, and Eddie, Eddie was giving us pointers. We were asking him stuff, you know, how, what about this and what about that? And Eddie was talking to us. And uh, Walter, I know he was joking, but he said, man, don't be telling no whippersnappers, man. They're going to be trying to beat us on stage, you know? 
you know, and he said it jokingly, but you know, there was a little camaraderie there, you know, and um, there was, we got into a lot of situations where uh, the headliner would cut your lights, cut your, you have half the sound and stuff like that, because they want to be outdid. And so what our management would do, um, we, we would get twice as much um, glitter, uh, uh, um, uh, more mirrors on our outfit. Because so the lights that we had would reflect more, so we could be seen, okay, and and our energy took the place of the lack of of speaker, the lack of sound with our energy. So it never did it never did affect us. And then when we moved into the fact of becoming headline and stuff like that, we never tried to damper anybody uh, performance. We want everyone to do the best they can. Well, you know, we've talked already, mentioned the Barcades a couple of times, but in so many interviews I've done, people yeah. have spoken of, you know, experiencing some of the unfortunate things you've mentioned, but the Barcades being the opposite of that, always good, helpful, lending equipment, just being, you know, really good guys. Exactly. No problem with the Barcades at all. And very, have very little problems um, with that. You know, we're kind of fortunate. And like I said, the little stuff that we ran into, we just sidestepped and kept right on going. <laughs> you remember, uh, Danny, one or two just uh, especially amazing shows that you guys did back then that just stay in your memory for some reason? Oh, so many. Like Japan was very much fun because um, the love of music that the people show there, they love R&B. And we would do we would do a show, and they would dance from the beginning to the end, nonstop. Okay, and most of our concerts were like that. I mean, but the energy that they showed and the love for music that was special to me. Um, the, the turnout and um, just the energy the energy that they have. Um, most of the most of our concert people just go crazy. I mean, one special show was L.A., the arena in Los Angeles. It was us and Cameo. And that thing went crazy. You know, that, that's when Cameo had one that they really broke out that year. I can't remember the name of the song. Um, but they were high-stepping as well. And we were, and the, the place sold out. And we all performed our hearts out. And, uh, that was a great gig. That's one gig that really stands, still stands out to me today. But we did, but we had a lot. We, you know, we played with um, um. Excuse my uh. I got to mention Charlie Wilson and the Gap Band. I can't leave them out. We did many gigs with them as well, and and I and just watching them grow and just from day one, they was awesome energetic group as well and uh we both learn from each other as well mm -hmm. um yeah well and then um i want to mention uh you know post candy a couple of those hits um got to be enough uh oh, came yeah. after that and uh to me you know when that came spirit of love just another great album but um when that came and then uh too tight I felt like you guys were like still funky, 
but it seemed like you're going for a little bit more polish, you know, um, and they were R&B hits, but I was surprised because those tracks were so catchy. I thought they would cross over and become pop hits, but they didn't really. No. Um, it's a shame, too, but, you know, we, it is what it is. You know, we did we did our job. I put that. We put the music out there. Okay, so, um, but like I said, it is what it is. But those are great songs, and uh, I still love them today. I still get great response from those songs. Oh, yeah. And I just love um, Got To Be Enough, how, like, the instrumental part of it is just established before the vocal comes in. You know, you guys kind of weren't afraid to take your time and set the the stage musically, you know. And a lot of songs, they rush to get the vocal in right away, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But you guys were just so smooth with it. Yeah, you know, uh, in radio, a lot of dudes try to get that hook in in the first couple of seconds because they don't want them to change the channel. Okay, but we give Skip, I give, and I think the group as well, give Skip Scarborough a lot of credit for that song, especially because when we cut the rhythm track, it was so-so. And then Skip, he took the track to Los Angeles and had the string arrangement and orchestrate and orchestrate. That was um, uh, studio horn and um, string players that played on that got to be enough. And so when we got it back, man, that thing just blew up. It was like off the chain. Okay, so yeah, I'll give Skip Scarborough credit for that. So being ahead. How did you generally approach your keyboard parts, you know, um, you know, you know, in terms of, you know, how prominent maybe you wanted the keys to be in a particular track or more subtle and that kind of thing? Um, basically, I just held down the pad a lot, you know, let's start solo, like, um, even with and and we kind of like map the song out in pre-production, but there are certain times like and so easy when I play my organ solo, that was kind of like the last minute we talked about doing it and everything, and then the, uh, one day the organ was there with Randage, you know, they brought it in, and I just uh, no rehearsal, no practice. I just that's a one take solo right there, so mm -hmm. easy, and uh, but it came out pretty good. I, I was very proud of it. And um, so it just varied, you know, as far as um, we was always rehearsed when we, when we um, go in to record. But um, at that time, keyboards was, you know, kind of dominant sometimes and then laid back and just was a feeler most of the time, unless we were solo. How would you decide whether to, you know, uh, color a song with uh, a synth or or a, or acoustic piano or or electric piano or a clavinet? Or I mean, how did you make those kind of decisions? Oh well, the song kind of dictates what is needed. Okay, and then we was trying to use as much synthesizer as possible when uh, we we bought that uh, Prophet Five, and Pat Gleason was the designer of that keyboard, which we recorded in his studio, Diffic Fur, uh, 
back in those days, right? So I want to look it up, but I got so every chance we got to get some synthesizer um as far as effects and so forth, we did. And uh we even experimented with a little bit of talk box and everything on one of those songs. Um, um but we not much. I just kind we just kinda of played with it. Because you know, Roger was so dominant and that, so I just left that, let him have that, you know, talk about. It. But I didn't like putting the the, um, the thing in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, on Spirit of Love. Um, no, uh, rather on Touch, the title track on Touch, really strong synth part and one of the funkiest cuts you guys did. I mean, that wasn't, I don't think, a single even, but that track title track on touch hits really hard well yeah we went after it on that one we definitely went on with the synthesizer sound and everything um i don't even know if we used horns from that song i don't think i did we did it was all synthesizer the bass is really pluck in the synth is really up front yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're bringing back memories now <laughs> good memories uh yeah. what what uh and then uh seven uh was an interesting record because um it kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit because uh you know you guys didn't show you weren't on the cover and it was the only record that had like a number as a title and it didn't have as many hits as the other records and so i'm not sure what was something going on at that time do you remember or well i know we um management um, was able to get this, uh, this album designer. He's a big time designer, right? To do our album, okay, cover. And uh, I think he did an awesome job. I think it was an awesome album concept, you know, and everything. So, but during that time, I think the uh, record company, I think they presented some additional producers to work with us. Mm. And and the music was starting to change at that time. Um, but then you guys bounced back really strong with To The Max. To me, that was like the last front-to-back great Confunction album, um, To The Max, you know. And uh, Miz Got The Body, just fantastic cut. And uh, Love's Train, of course, you know, it wasn't as big of a hit then as I think it should have been, but it stood the test of time, as we have well seen. Yes. Uh, how how did you feel when you uh, learned that it you know had been covered and was you know revived again? Yes, <laughs> very happy. It was a, a we look at I look at it as a total blessing for forty years later, someone take this song and blow it up again, and and, and get and and the song that received the credit that it should have gotten, you know, back earlier. Even though it was a hit back then, but it never was released as a single, Love Train. So mm -hmm. it was limited, but it, you know, it did what it did, and it's still doing what it do. <laughs> and uh, it was a good song. Yeah, and the keyboards are very much a part of what makes that song great. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That, um, it just came together. It's 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 a beautiful thing when you know you can you can maybe do um fifty songs 
and they all are technically right. But some just come together and fall together where it's a perfect lot. And it's and it comes together easy. You know, there's no there's no it's easy to do everything just locks right in with no problem. And that love train was one of them. And uh, you know, Michael kills it on that track. Yes, he uh, does. Yeah. Uh, was there ever debates on like you know whether a particular song or part would be the lead from him versus uh, Felton? Well, we had a few. We you know we would have production meetings and um, business meetings all the time, and and that song was actually was controversial because um, what we would do is we would, everyone would contribute songs for their upcoming album. And then we'd have a meet on them, we'd meet about them and just have a listening session and so forth. And um, that particular song, Michael and Felton was beginning to write a lot together during, by that time. And so Michael was able to get Felton's track, The Love Train. And he did his version and Felton had his version. And they both presented the songs to the group. And of course, the group gravitated towards Michael concept. And um, we, we actually had to outvote Felton on which concept we would use because we all believe that Love Train was a hit. You know, so yeah, the, those things came up every now and then, every blue and blue. But now you got the inside story out of it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be curious to hear the other version, just you know, for for giggles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad version, but love train, you know, and and it tells. I mean, it, it actually became um, a, a a true story from what I understand between what Michael and Frost was going through, uh, you know, uh, a battle between. Two men loving the same woman or dating the same woman, that type of thing. So it was from the heart. It was written, you know, from the heart. Mm. <laughs> I think, you know, that kind of um, life experience, maybe, and just soul, you know, courses through confunction ballads. You know, it's like some ballads are nice and maybe pretty and pleasant, but a lot of the confunction ballads just really touch you inside. You know, they have that extra layer of soul and depth, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Um, guys write from the heart. Uh, that's one thing about our music at that time. You uh, know, we was kind of, music was more romantic. Um, we wrote songs about love and and having fun, partying, you know, having a good time and stuff like that. It was just it was a good time to um to be an artist and to live, to have fun, go to house parties and concerts. I mean they still having great times now, don't get me wrong, but it's it's nothing like good R and B rhythm blues. 
And you guys uh, had a big change production-wise after that, where you got the um, guy that was uh, Dodato produced uh, Cool in the Gang for Fever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we had him and a few other producers that came in and helped us out. Definitely a change in the sound in that one, though, with him there. Oh yeah, yes, Dodato. He was. He was. That was a nice change of pace. Did, did was it the label uh, that kind of was trying to get you guys with different producers, or did you guys want to change it up, or how'd that happen? Well, we didn't mind. We had an open mind, you know, because trying to do everything yourself, you know, it's good to get some fresh ideas. I'll, I'll come up with some ideas of guys that we worked with. One guy just passed, uh, Houdini, worked with us on the song. Oh, Larry Smith? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, that was um, really a good guy to work with as well. Yeah, with Electric Lady, you guys got into like some sort of like hip hop type producers. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, we're trying to keep it moving. You know, trying to get into that. Uh, keep up to date with the music. You know, because the music was starting to. You know, the hip-hop started coming in slowly but surely. Was Maurice Starr the other guy you are trying to think of? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Yeah, a great guy. Um, I was trying to find, see, what, see where he's at right now. But yeah, great guy. We had a great time um, working with him. Uh, great talent. Genius dude, Maurice Starr, right? Yeah, he produced a lot of people. I think uh, he was was it In Sync or Backstreet Boys, one of those groups too. I think he was part of. Yeah, it's, um, it's new addition as well. He did new addition first, and then he did the Backstreet Boys or something. Like that. Yeah, and then back then, early '80s, I first came to know him through uh, Johnson um, Crew. Johnson Crew, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah pack jam and all that stuff um memories <laughs> yeah yeah um you guys did one more burning love 86 um definitely sound had changed a lot by then with sort of the uh, 80s electronic kind of stuff going on um where was your head at like around that time toward the end in terms of personally and in relation to the group well um uh, at that point felton had went um had left the group and I brought in um one of the actual one of my proteges that I was producing a gospel album on um and his name was Carter, Melvin Carter. And he was an awesome talent. He played keyboards and um great vocalist. And so I brought him in and we featured him on the song Burning Love. And um and so that was a change because he had a, he was a totally different sound than what we had previously. But it was a good sound. But towards the end, uh, it's like when you lose your wide receiver, okay, and then maybe even a quarterback. It's hard to um, um, to keep your identity to where what the audience is, is looking for. So... During that album, we was 
fighting to try to keep it going, you know, and and then produce a great product, which we didn't do bad on that one. It did pretty good. Well, that wine was a hit, Burning Burnin Love. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, why did Felton take off? Um, personal reasons. Um, I know he had worked with MC Hammer at the time. You know, he was helping them with stuff while he was still with us. And I don't really know. Um, it was a lot of political things going on with the group, you know, as well. Um, but um, so I decided, I don't know his exact reasons, but I know he left and went, went to MC Hammer, which was, did you blame him? <laughs> At that time, you know, I mean, like, uh, he he produced a great album for MC Hammer that, during that same time. Yeah. So um, how soon after that record came out did you guys disband? Probably that um, that following year, because Mike Cooper um, went solo as well. And uh, cause actually, we were supposed to renegotiate our uh, our album deal. We had like a, a four to five year um, album project because that was the last year which we was we were looking forward to renegotiate with the record company and you know and um, cut another um, for another deal. Uh, but without Michael and Felton being in the mix with the group, um, it was hard to you know really shop another deal and. And at, at that point, I decided to take a break. You know, I, I, I brought in Melvin Carter, which uh, he did a great job and everything. But after Michael left and everything, I decided to take a break, chill out, do something, you know, just, you know, uh, go on vacation for a year. <laughs> but at that time, I've been doing music for what, a lifetime, you know, 30, 40 years consistent. So, yeah, you guys ended up you, you guys ended up being together like what 15 years at least 15 years yeah I was actually more like because we started in high school so um, I lose track <laughs> of the of the time so it, it, was, it was time to take a break you know what you know um, um you know the band played on um I was satisfied um, with the time that we had, the experience that I did with the group and everything. So um, it was cool. It was a cool time. I ended up getting pulled back into business and doing music direction for many other groups that was uh, up and coming groups and stuff like that. And um, becoming a music director and um, even um, getting in church. I'm becoming a minister of music for my church. I'm still doing that now today. And I'm still performing, still getting out and doing particular gigs and stuff like that. I put some guys together and everything and still having fun. Did, did you ever uh, play again with those guys at all? Because I know they kind of got back together several times. Yeah, I sit in with them every now and then. Get together with the time uh, admit I mean commit and uh we get together. Possibly who knows what happened in the future. 
Well, we can all hope. Yeah. As fans, you know. Exactly. Uh, when you play on your own, do you ever like cover any of the confunction material? Oh, for sure. I do a confunction review. That's uh that is fun. I mean, I have a I have a group of guys that um that uh play with me and we yeah, I I wrote a ten piece band. I got the three horns, I got three vocalists and the rhythm section and we yeah, have big fun. Wow. So you do shows in the Atlanta area sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, uh, since the pandemic slowed everything down, but I was, I was doing shows in Atlanta and the Bay Area and the West Coast. Um, um, had a great following. So now I'm kind of just gearing back up and um, putting things back together again. Um, I'm doing recording. Uh, my latest release was an, a song entitled Free to Dream, which was a tribute to Martin Luther King. Nelson Mandela and President Obama. It's a motivational type song, which um, I was motivated in uh, 2000. I was in a car accident. I got in a car accident on Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, and I was a bit ridden for like nine months. I had uh, fractured my hip and my pelvis, and I was like in a body body class. I was a passenger in a car that ran into a bulldozer. The biggest bulldozer I've ever seen, right? And uh, it was it rained that day and the car started sliding, lost control. And I tried to brace myself and blew my hip out. Mm. So so while I was rehabbing at, at the house, I started reflecting on what was going on in my life and everything and and uh, Martin Luther King and being able to survive. Uh, <laughs> what I think you actually see your life pass in front of you. And um, I started reflecting on Martin Luther King and what he did and and, and everything. And I wanted to uh, do a tribute to him. So the following year, I was part of a gospel group. And we performed the debut track. Uh, it was entitled Free Then. Because President Obama wasn't even thought of, and Nelson, Nelson Mandela was still in jail, in prison. But I focused on Martin Luther King, and we the title of the song was Free, and we performed uh, for uh, Martin Luther King's birthday the following year. And uh, my life hasn't been the same since. <laughs> no, but um, so I continue. Uh, through the years, I would perform and do events um, during his birthday and during Black History Month. And a um, couple years ago, I decided to upgrade the song again, and it, it became a tribute to Nelson Mandela, President Obama, and Martin Luther King, because I think he inspired all these guys, right? And um, so I, I do something. I try to give um, a shout-out to those artists and other people that have helped in, you know, promoting um, positivity, you know, for the world. So I, I do that every year. How, how can people, you know, hear it and um, kind of keep up with whatever you may have going on? When you go to my website, dannyathomas.com, it's on iTunes. 
um, Spotify, uh, YouTube, all, all over YouTube, Danny Thomas Music. Uh, look me up and um, and say hi. We've had to hear from me. Excellent. What would you say are your two or three all-time favorite Confunction tracks? Well, that's easy. Love Train, number one, Got to Be Enough, Too Tight, I go on, but it's so easy. I got to go so easy in there. You know? Oh, yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah. So is there anything in particular that, why do you like those so much? One thing that hits, <laughs> and I'll be, be honest with you, you know, I mean, um, a hit is a hit is a hit. If if the people think it's a good song, I got to agree with them, okay? But no, they are. I mean, um, uh, Love Train just won't quit, okay? And, and since Bruno Mars redid it, I have requests now to do it. You know, I used to do it because I wanted to do it. Now people are requesting for that I do it. So it has to be done. And I, like you said, the, the instrumentation and got to be enough they're just awesome. You know, the guitar work and everything in that song is just, to me, a great song. Um, um, and and that's, I feel that, that way about all the songs um, that my favorite songs. That got to be enough, and that got to be enough was so easy. Uh, that tune is so funky to me. And uh, the performance that everybody put into that song. I want to do something with that one as well. Yeah, there's like a, a synth bass or something going on in that song, or it's got like a real so easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got that funky bass. And why my favorite, I I got I think that's the only song that have an organ solo that we did at the eleven album. And um I I think it came out pretty good. Oh, came out great. And uh, I think Shake and Dance was a bigger hit, but I think I like So Easy a little better on that one. Oh, yeah. And we, we had working on that one, too, as well. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep, sure enough. Um, how about one or two songs that Confunction did that maybe people slept on or have slept on that you think they should go back and check out because you thought that maybe they should have gotten more attention than they did? Yeah, well, confunction I use for sure can be re, uh, redone, which um, I'm making a note of that right now. <laughs> um, um, and um, hmm, there's a few. Um, let's see. It's one of those ballads. A couple of those ballads kind of got overlooked. Make it last. Um, that was early in the game, but there's so many of them, you know, I can't really complain, you know, so many good ballads, but make it last was a good one, so. Um, and then tell us a little bit about that book that you had out there. What, um, inspired you to do that and. Oh, yes, the book. Oh, I'd be glad to. Well, I wrote that book during the pandemic. Um. I have been making, I have been uh, making notes and stuff. It's been, I've been uh, planning for several years to do it, 
but never had the time. Okay, so when the pandemic hit and I couldn't leave the house, I said, wow, why not? This is this is the perfect time, you know? And um, it was. I'm glad I did. It was very therapeutic. I was able to reflect back on the life and fun times that we had with the function that we did. And I wa- also, I wanted to give back to our fans and supporters all these years, try to give them a backstage look, um, uh, see how the role was, uh, tell them um, uh, so many people come to me asking about how to write a song, how to put together a band, how do you copyright a song, all these things that musicians and people that are interested in getting into the um, the business, I tried to put some um, basic knowledge of the music industry, add that to the book as well. Uh, like music uh, one-on-one things that you do and look out for and don't do some of the things and make the mistakes that we did, you know, very subtly and just um, share uh, the life of function with our public, give back to them. Hmm. And that's, uh, you get that on Amazon, right? Amazon. You can also get it on my website, um, dannyathomas.com. Uh, I will autograph it and mail you the copy back to you. Uh, um, I've been getting great response. No problem. Wow. Congratulations on that. Very cool. Thank you. If somebody asked you, Danny, um, how would you describe the confunction sound? What would you tell them? I would say... It's like it's like the title of the group, Confunction. It's like a three syllable sound. So we have the it's a mixture of hardcore funk, sweet balance, and we even do the in-between stuff. Okay. Um so it's a it's a conglomerate of music that people have put a lot of time to put together. Are there a couple elements you would say make it distinctive from anybody else? Well, it's just us. If it have the personality, because I mean, like every successful group have its own identity. I think you would agree. Okay, so um, confunction um, have created our identity with our style. And um, and what we do, how we do it, okay, as far as just being part of that funk era and to be able to do that as well as compete with uh, great balance as well, I think put us in a, our own little category. And uh, a lot of it, I think, too, comes down to... Um having distinctive vocalists too and confunction did you know you hear it and you know who it is you know yeah Yeah. um and the middle part funk you know what is what does funk mean to you danny funk to me means when you hear that that bass or that sound that makes you frown up and get ugly um 
that makes you want to jump up out your seat when you hear the downbeat and dance, okay, and really dance, you know, you know, get out and shake that booty, okay. That that's funk, okay, and and um, as far as um to have those type of riffs that um it's basically in a minor mode technically that uh puts you in a state of mind of just you know lay back kick back and enjoy the ride yeah and could you describe to anybody uh what the feeling was like when the band was in that groove on the stage and just kind of floating on it what was that feeling like the closest thing the magic that you can get to where um everyone is in sync where i remember time we used to do a jam session on stage a few songs was written from jam session where we would part of the show we would take time out and just start a groove and just jam for maybe 10 to 15 minutes on this groove, come up with different hooks, nothing rehearsed, nothing practiced, just every show we took time out to have a jam session. Okay, and those things um, show feel good to me was a result of one of those jam sessions we did. And, um, and so to have everyone just vibing um, on one accord with the music, okay, and come up with their ideas and the inner sync, inner mingle. I mean, like, and I remember there are situations where I would play a hook uh, and play a, a musical line on the keyboard, and the bass player may double it, okay, across the stage. Just total, just spontaneous type stuff happened. Or the horn players would intermingle with each other and stuff on certain lines. So um, coming up with hook phrases, you know, that locked in with exactly what the music was doing. So those are the great things about music that I remember and um, had great fun being a part of it. Did it make it challenging at all for Felton to be jumping back and forth from a horn to the vocals? Um, oh no, he did it very well. I mean, they had it down. He got him. He could do a spin, put his put his horn in the his um um uh, his horn um bracket and turn around and with his microphone. <laughs> I see him do it. They had it down to a science. You know, one thing I always uh, regretted a little bit was that Fire When Ready wasn't longer. You know, the track that kicks off Candy. That's such yeah, a groove. Yes, it is. That is. That was a a monster uh, concept. And we have we used to we used to have the fire that would shoot out when uh we it was like a um intro song. Um yeah, we used to fire to go right along go right along with it. So it was a quite dynamic song. Is there one of the albums that is your favorite that you're most partial to that you feel was the fully most fully realized album that you guys did? Uh, well, the sequence um, comes to mind for some reason, you know, um, 
I think um, the, I like the song sequence as well. That was another song that was uh, came up very very nice. It set uh, a tonality with a different vibe to what you know, like a little smooth funk, you know, than raw funk with the the album Secrets in that project. Which one? Secrets. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was early on. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you if Show Enough uh, uh, came out later, that would have been a bigger hit, you know, after you guys had, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was just ti- timing is so much in the industry. That's right. Um, lastly, Danny, what, you know, looking back on this, what are you most proud of in your, in your musical career? I'm proud of being part of a music organization that did great music. And and I give credit for everyone that that loved for the music. We applied ourselves, we loved it, we, we dedicated ourselves to what our our plan was. And and that's what I recommend to anyone that is involved in whatever they want to do. You have to really apply yourself, put your heart and soul into it. And do the best that you can be, the best that you can be, in what you're doing. And um, so I think I look at it, I look back at it, and it was just a, a, a marvelous time, a blessed time. I don't even take credit for all of it. I think God blessed us. He was overlooking, he was looking over us the whole time. Yeah, hard to argue with that, man. With the results, you know. There you go. But uh, hey, Danny, thank you so much for all the great music and for sharing this with us today. Oh, thank you. Pleasure is all mine. And I'm gonna be I'll be watching out for you too. Don't <laughs> be a stranger. <laughs> Likewise, and uh man, you're not too far away. So if you start doing those shows again, maybe you know, I'll head I down there or or I don't know if you ever make it to Charlotte, but probably I have to head down to uh Atlanta. I get down there once in a while. Let me know, man. Fantastic. I really enjoyed the interview. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, and, and thanks to Bryce, too. For sure. Isn't okay. she a big girl? Oh, amazing. Yes, she is. Yeah, I enjoyed her. Right All right, Danny, take good care. Thank you, you too. Okay, bye for now. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest, as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure, for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net 
I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.